This episode is brought to you by Atlassian. Atlassian software like Jira, Confluence, and Trello help power global collaboration for all teams so they can accomplish everything that's impossible alone. Because individually, we're great, but together, we're so much better. Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at Atlassian.com, A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N.com. Atlassian, tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. I was traveling internationally last year. I was in Mallorca. I didn't know the island well. I said, let me head to the north, head towards the water. Let me go on Hotels.com and see what they have available. Something preferably on the beach, maybe even a gym. Not only did I get those things, there was a kid's session with exercise, gymnastics in the water, pony rides, a train. It had everything, and I didn't even want any of those things but at least I knew they were there just in case I changed my mind. And now finding the perfect hotel has never been easier thanks to the Hotels.com app. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly, right, all-inclusive or a relaxing spa weekend, you can find exactly what you need and compare hotel prices, ratings, and amenities side by side. So start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app. Shouldn't you be at work? Get towards Brecker! And that is an absolute gem of a goal. George Ware on the prowl, bang! Di Matteo to Signori! Fabulous strike! And here's an opportunity, Zola, lovely dummy. Oh, what a goal for Palmer! And here's Victor! Rabinelli again. Baggio. This is Deschamps! And it's two! Now, you know him better than anybody, probably. Do you back him to score quickly, yes or no? Yes. Oh, and he has to. No! Hello and welcome to a correspondent special of Quickly Kevin, Will He Score? I'm Chris Gold. Joining me as always, Josh Whittacombe. Hello. And a man who's more 90s than a 50-yard Dave Shalliner throw-in. It's Michael Marden. Hello. I'm going to come out and say it. I don't work in marketing, but I think calling it a correspondence special is possibly the most boring decision we've ever made. <laughs> it's called, It should be called an electronic post bag special, because that's what the feature is. How about this for an idea? Let's make up a guest that we've got on the show. Oh, pret- great. Pretend that we have. And obviously, Steve Frogger's wife. I'm really sorry anyone that's listening now or like one minute in. That person is not going to be on the show. Yeah. You now understand the reasoning why. Who who should we go for? Pele. No, this is no, terrible. It has to it? be. It has to be good but believable. You know. It's no, I don't think it should be believable. I don't think it should be believable because there will still be some people that would believe Pele. <laughs> okay, well, I think just go for an ungettable nineties foot. Gabriel Batistuta. Fantastic. Lovely. Perfect. Okay, but our electronic post bag. I genuinely mean this. I let it get out of hand. There was 115 to read, and I've read them in the last 24 hours. Not solely, while I was doing other things. And reading the post bag of Quickly Kevin is, and I mean this, the best thing I do in my professional life. <laughs> it's fucking brilliant. Um, do you want some amazing, amazing news? This is just a call forward to what we're going to do in future. You know the Aston Villa drinks video? Yeah. I don't know how we didn't know this. Did you know that it's part of a hour and a half documentary about the 1995 Villa squad? What? 
called The Squaddies. <laughs> the cover <laughs> being the Aston Villa squad dressed in army fatigues. We have to get a copy of this. Oh, my God. I cannot wait to watch it. It's on YouTube. Wow. Mitchell Willis writes, Hi, good morning, chaps. Hope you're well. Thought it was worth bringing this documentary from 1995 with a bit of a squad profile for the Villa squad. You'll certainly recognise some of it, open brackets, low-fat pizza, but there's so much more to this. It's absolute gold dust. I would say it's worth a full episode of this. If not, it's certainly worth 90 minutes of your time. I mean, yes. Uh, And he says, going back to our Valentine's Day special, where we, uh, on the Patreon, the Valentine's Day special, we discussed who the hottest 90s footballers are. He suggests Mark Bosnich and Savo Milosevic. Savo Milosevic? Yeah, I can't see that myself. So we've got to do that this series, right? Yeah, 100%. We promised to do that this series. Now... Can I just say, I always thought Savo Milosevic could have done more with his hair. Do you think? Yeah. It's just like a block, it's like a blo- like Lego hair, blo- it's just blocky. Yeah, but his English was so bad, it must have been quite difficult to describe a haircut when going to the barbers. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. Can I, can I say, my peak levels of excitement at watching that Aston Villa video have just gone off a cliff after that Savo Milosevic hair chat. It's <laughs> 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 too niche even for me, that one. Wow. I'm Jim Rosenthal, and this is the Electronic Postbag. You've got mail. Right, this is Jack Alexander-Turner. Hi, guys. Love the show. In your last correspondence episode, a listener wrote in to say that she thought you'd somehow posthumously booked Paul Daniels onto the show. (laughs) Do you remember this? The the mix-up was uh, our Patreon episode with Phil Daniels. Uh, She thought it was going to be Paul Daniels. This stirred a memory of mine from early in the mid-90s when I was around eight, growing up in rural Gloucestershire. My stepdad brought home Blur's Park Life. I was particularly excited to listen to the Park Life single I'd been enjoying on the radio. Turning over the case in order to find out which track to skip to, I was amazed to discover, under the image of Graham Cox and puffing on a cigarette, they had Paul Daniels listed as featured on my favourite song. Up until that point, having only heard the song on the radio, I assumed it was a spoken word part was delivered by a Blur member. But no, the spoken word of part life was performed by television magician and TV quiz show presenter <laughs> Paul Daniels. I believe for longer than I should that Paul Daniels had collaborated with Blur. <laughs> <laughs> and delivered the spoken word part on the classic 90s sing-along. Much later that year, whilst watching Wipeout with my stepdad, I said, it's funny, he sounds really different on the TV than he does with Blur. <laughs> <laughs> Through fits of laughter, my stepdad informed me that that was Phil Daniels, not Paul Daniels. My belief was so ingrained that I had to run and check the back of the album cover again. And there it was. Phil Daniels. To this day, I still think the music video would have been improved by Paul Daniels stretching over to the top of the steering wheel as he snatches Damon Albarn's sandwich. <laughs> Jack Turner, 33 years old, in Leytonstone. I wonder if Phil and Paul Daniels had ever been accidentally booked like they're on corporate. <laughs> <laughs> well, I just think, kid, the memory came to me of a, of a mix-up. A few years ago, I was with my dad and he had the paper and we were talking about, I think someone someone mentioned Bruno Mars playing the Super Bowl. And he was like, oh, I, re- I remember him when he used to uh, DJ on Radio 1. 
he thought for a second he thought Bruno Brooks was going to play the Super Bowl <laughs> halftime show. I would love Bruno Brooks to do the Super Bowl halftime show. I remember him when he was DJing on Radio One. What are you on about? Yeah. I hope he's better than uh, the year before was Mark Goodyear, wasn't it? <laughs> and what about Liz Kershaw, hey, when she came out? <laughs> Bruno Brooks. I seem to remember there's some story about Bruno Brooks um, used to charge people to listen to his records in his house or something like that. I, if anyone's got the fact on that, I'd love to hear it. <laughs> that is that is the least salacious rumour about an X-Radio 1 <laughs> DJ ever, to have ever done the rounds. <laughs> Stu Jocelyn. Hi, chaps. How do I remember uh, this right moment? The other day, but I was able to answer it myself. I was looking through some classic Merlin Premier League sticker albums from the mid-90s when a vague memory propped into my head of a rival collection marketed by Panini, which I think uh, I was collecting myself at some point. As far as I can remember, it was not an official product of the Premier League, but was instead linked to the PFA. Also, presumably for rights reasons, the players were not photographed in their kit, but instead in plain white tracksuit with a PFA logo. Quick search online, proved I hadn't made this up. And he's attached a video from YouTube, which is six or seven minutes, which is someone going through it page by page, a kind of thing. Um, I could imagine, well, I was going to say, I could imagine you watching, Michael, but I've watched a couple of minutes, so then thoroughly enjoyed it. Anyway, the most exciting thing about it, he says, which I've forgotten, uh, is there's short quotes to accompany each player's picture and profile, allegedly provided by the players themselves. But I suspect made up by some junior office staff at Panini UK. Most are incredibly banal. For instance, I was Derby's top scorer last season. But here are some QK legends. David Batty's quote, You have to be over the moon at Newcastle because there are so many stars. No, didn't say that. Never <laughs> happened. Can you imagine? <laughs> that is so unbatty like Yeah. Gary Mavitz, when I was on holiday... I bumped into Chris DeBurr's mum and dad. <laughs> Don't tell me that's it. That's his quote. Do you know what, though? That is so banal that actually it makes me think it could be true. Well, I think it must be true. I think they must have got that fact from an interview with Gary Mabber and just put it into quote form, right? How, is that, how does that come up in an interview with Gary Mabber? He's got to offer that up. He's, there's no way you're asking a question and getting that answer. Uh, Stuart Ripley, I like to relax by watching John Wayne films. (laughs) What a question are they asking? (laughs) Also, I've seen a few John Wayne films. They are not relaxing. There is at least two gunfights in every film. Um, Now, I found my own, which is from Mark Hughes, which is Mark Hughes says, unlike most Welsh people, I don't like rugby or choirs. Borderline really inappropriate. Yeah. <laughs> However, Steve Nichol, his quote is, I I had a lucky escape when I fell through the ice while walking my dog. <gasps> no. No. Oh, right, That's you quote, really? that, yeah. Paul Parker. I have a reputation for talking a lot, especially on the phone. <laughs> <laughs> that is phenomenal. Um, maybe we should package that up into a feature in future because that yes. there's a lot more there that could be uh, talked about. Okay, Wilson Weaver 
writes to us, Chris, this you'll be excited by this. Evening all. I was at the Berlin ground. I'm in, okay. That's that's West Ham, right? Yeah, yeah that's the two thousand and one. Yeah. Uh, for an, I'm gonna say it. I I never knew it was called that until they started knocking it down and then suddenly everyone was throwing that name around willy nilly. I was at the Berlin ground uh, in year 2001 for a nil-nil against either Leeds, Derby or Bolton. So my first ever football match in person, or technically not in the 90s, it was the closest I could get. As an Arsenal fan going to West Ham, I wore a Dreamcast Arsenal strip underneath a coat, fared relatively well in my first ever visit to a live football match, but exposed myself when I chanted along to the East, East, East London chant. How does that go, Chris? East, East, East London. Right, yeah. Which surfaces after scraps. Is that fair? Uh, yeah. Yeah, pretty much, yeah. I thought the lyrics were, beef, beef, beef alert. (laughs) 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 What, like beef as in, like, oh, there's an argument. Yeah, beef alert. And boisterously chanted this as news signing Thomas Repka and Jay engaged in a bit of argy party with some poor man for the opposition. <laughs> this is the reveal, because I've been picturing a man. Luckily, the fans around me on the chicken run were forgiving of the naivety as I was seven. <laughs> beep, 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 alert. Oh, dear. Skull, will That's you, cracking. next time you're at West Ham... And there's a crowd, says so start of next season. Would they still do the they presumably they're more East London than ever now? Um Yeah. Would they still do um the East 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 London chant? Yeah, definitely. More in away games, this the the harder the hardcore support will sing that. Could you try and get stage. beef 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 alert going? I don't know. How would I do that? Try and start <laughs> a chant. To- I've told you about when I started a chant at Argyle. Me and my brother started um when we beat Fulham 5-0 in the FA Cup, Fulham at the time were owned or they, the chairman was Jimmy Hill. We started Are You Watching Jimmy Hill? And it spread throughout the stand. <laughs> it's I've never had absolutely this. a thrill like you wouldn't believe. I don't think I've ever got a, fat, uh, a chant going. Have you, Michael? I mean, I've never tried. I'm not going to lie. I'm, <laughs> I can't. I'm one of the least likely people to try and start a chant. I'd have to hear beef alert about a hundred times before I even before I even said the B in beef. When the crowds return, what I want people to do is when the crowds return, you go to a match, set your phone on voice memo. We want to hear you start try and start beef alert and see who can do the best or who can at least go on the longest before they lose their nerve. Well, I I have got the privileged position of having a live microphone to the entire stadium at half time before the match. So, like, I've often thought, what could I drop in for fans of Quickly Kevin? Yeah, that only they like that no one else would know. But maybe it is beef, beef, beef alert. I reckon I could do that. You could sneak in a sort of like, who's ready for some beef alert? <laughs> Like you're sort of, you're trying out a new catchphrase, like it's at the WWF, and I think people would go like, "What's he talking about?" But also would just brush past it. Well, do you know, like one of the halftime games I have to commentate on is people trying to kick a ball into a goal with holes in, and they've got one minute to try and get as many yeah. points like a competition run of a season. And I'm commentating for like a minute, but no one's really listening. No one's like. I'm just going, "Oh, go for the top," you know. I'm just chatting nonsense. That'd be a perfect time to drop beef alert. 
I could easily get in well, there. No one would that. Say you do, but you try and okay. do it, Chris. And also, if you are a quickly Kevin fan, and you want to try and get it going at your club. There'll probably be other quickly Kevin fans. If you hear someone start it, you've at least got. It's part of the quickly Kevin listening that you've got to join in if you hear it. Okay, Strange Hill. Strange Hill has taken the world by storm. Let's hear that jingle. Before you start, we just need to clear up because I'm sick of getting tweets about it. The theme tune that I use (laughs) ended in 1990, okay? So it qualifies. It's much better than the one they used in the 90s. So I'm never going to use that one, no matter how many times people fucking message me, right? You want want that... Like, you want that one. The other one's rubbish. Can we move on, please? Okay. Matt Cherry writes... Uh, on the topic of Strange Hill, just to explain Strange Hill, it's kind of things you've misbelieved. Is that right? Often as a youth about football? Yeah. On the topic of Strange Hill, my wife once kicked a football through my legs and then ran around the garden shouting peanuts. <laughs> uh, also, one from Matt, uh, he adds... One from me now, when I was younger, I was convinced that the goals in Premier League stadiums were significantly bigger than the goals down at our local park. If I ever missed a shot and it was relatively close, I would comment, that would have been in if it was a Premier League goal. Do you remember in the 1994 World Cup when the Americans used to... There was lots of talk of making the goals bigger, wasn't there? God, yeah. I just that's come back to me, yeah. But the theory, what one of the theories I remember being thrown around was that goalies had obviously got bigger in the hundred years football had been going on. It felt in the nineties. Maybe I'm wrong. It felt like that was a genuine discussion. I, it wouldn't happen. I think that this conversation has ended, isn't it? No one's yeah. making the goals any bigger. All right, so I'll move on then. Fine. Uh, but no, but I, you know, um, something I found out this week, like um, I can't, I'm not maybe not going to get this exactly right. But you remember in the Champions League semi final in '99, like Roy Keane. Against Juventus, he ran ten kilometers, and everybody in the, in ninety or it didn't go to extra time, did it? It was wrapped up in in ninety minutes. But every, like, I remember it being a massive deal that he'd run ten kilometers in a single match. And I was chatting to someone at West Ham, one of the like the data analytics guys. He was telling me like the average now is like fourteen kilometers a match. Oh wow! So like in, from between the nineties and now, people are running four kilometers extra in, in mad, within ninety minutes. It? That's, and I, is that, that's just pressing, mind. right? Yeah. And and Roy Keane was the exception hitting 10 kilometres in 99. That's mad. So how much more? Is it football better, like just f- faster pace? Do you pace think then a team would just then. destroy Manchester United 1999? I think so now. I think so now. So apparently, Tom, when, when West Ham played Manchester United, Thomas Suchek ran 17 kilometres in that match. Bloody hell. It's crazy, isn't it? Athlete, like he—he he was just running up and down the touchline to get his stats up, wasn't he? Which I think's cheating. <laughs> <laughs> it's not as helpful as you think. But he's pointing to it, going, "Look at my stats. Are you going to drop me?" <laughs> I'd, I'd imagine if they'd—I'd like, love to have known Latit Matt Latis's stats back in the night, like tracking, like how many kilometers is he running? What outfield player do you think is running the least? It's good. Latis would be out there, surely. I reckon most strikers would be. That in the hole is surely because you're you're trying to ghost around and find. You're trying not to move, really, aren't you? In a weird way. Yeah, I'd love to know if that, if that is possible. Do get in touch. Another strange hill. 
I was listening to your last correspondence episode and had a flashback to my under 11 days playing for Barking Colts B. I wasn't the best player, putting it kindly. I got way too flustered on the ball. Anyway, during the game, the ref blows his whistle right beside me and outstretched his hand towards me. Typically <laughs> flustered, I caught his gaze and slowly but cautiously raised my own hand and shook his hand. A gentleman referee, I thought. In fact, he was blowing for a foul and gesturing which team had been awarded the free kick. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God. So embarrassing. That's like calling the teacher mum, isn't it? I was a laughing stock. It had been burned (laughs) into my mind for the past 20 years. (laughs) Can you imagine that? Picking the rap. And tried presuming halfway the game, the ref had come to shake your hand. Oh, dearie me. If I ever told you the story, uh, 90s uh, celebrity TV presenter Davina McCall, but when I was, I worked on Big Brother for a few years and uh, I was walking into, I was out in the car park one day and my mate was at the other end of the car park. So I was I was waving to my mate, and then I someone between me and my mate started waving back, and I realised it was Davina McCall who was waving at me, yeah. thinking that I was waving at her. I was waving to my mate behind her, <laughs> and then I didn't know what to do. So like Davina McCall was walking towards me, so I just put my hand down, and uh, she just I walked past me and hi, but I was the one who was like really embarrassed. <laughs> Like she, she was the one who should have been embarrassed. But I didn't have the guts to her. I wasn't waving at her. Oh, oh if she's God. listening to this, she'll have egg on her face. <laughs> she, she won't remember that. But to this day, she doesn't realise she know she did anything wrong. She thinks I was just waving. At her. <laughs> I don't. You know, to this day, she doesn't think that, Chris, because she doesn't remember. It. <laughs> she a, she's not. <laughs> no, I, absolutely. She very rarely memory. thinks I remember being in that car park when I re- waved at that man. I did nothing wrong. <laughs> How confident is Davina McCall? We're to, quite confident. To, as soon as as soon as she sees someone she's waving, she, used to she assumes street, they're mate. waving. She's at her. pretty confident, mate. <laughs> she's coming up to strangers in the street getting them to date she's so used to people waving at her that she assumes that every wave is for McCall, her mate. it's unacceptable what's she thinking at that point she would have been one of the most famous people in the UK <laughs> <laughs> but also she would have thought because I was really enthusiastic at the start of the wave and then when I realised what was happening like as she got closer to me I became less enthusiastic as she walked towards me kind of parable for Big Brother itself <laughs> yeah. Hi, this is from Leon Chambers. Hi, quickly, Kevin. Loving the pod. This is a st- strange hill. Sorry, we're still on strange hill. Okay, not football, but it and it was the eighties, but it's very much a strange hill. This must have been when I was under ten. I hope so. I've never been into cricket, but my older brother was really into it, and I thought he knew everything. So when he told me that the ashes were the ashes of an umpire who had spontaneously combusted during an early game. I believed him. (laughs) I thought nothing more about it until someone, sometime in the early 90s when I was in the pub with some friends and the ashes came up in conversation. So I decided to share my interesting fact with them. It was only while telling the story that the penny dropped. Uh... I've got a real problem with the Ashes trophy. Too small. I don't know if, like, it's too small, isn't it? It's pathetic. It's yeah. like winning a Sabutio tournament. Nothing wrong with that, mate. <laughs> the FA Cup of Sabutio is the biggest cup in sport if you compare it to the players. <laughs> to compare yeah. the, the ratio. Do you know what? 
Would that be really exciting? You know how they're trying to make the Champions League bigger? If they just decided, rather than by increasing the number of teams, they were going to make the, the European Cup 10 foot tall. <laughs> and everybody would have to get in it. If you win it, you all have to get in it. <laughs> have to get in it. There's a lot of tennis court based strange hills, um, like different ways of playing football on tennis courts as a kid. And this comes from Andrew Rhodes. This is the vision of this is very um, intense. I listened to your last pod and the story of the goalkeeper with a tennis racket reminded me of a term during my A levels when my friends and I decided to keep playing on our normal pitch, the outdoor tennis courts despite the fact the nets had now been strung up. This meant the nets now acted as a halfway lane that could only be crossed by leaping the net or running around it, leading to some strange tactics. For the most part, each team would put its attacking players on one side of the net, its defensive players on the other, knocking long balls over it to play the percentages. However, the real fun came if a player decided to make the leap over the net during the match. This would always be accompanied with a way from your teammates each time and often led to overloads which benefited the attacking team. Occasionally, two players would leap the net. This, unfathomably, was called a double dunk and was always a highlight of the game. (laughs) (laughs) I think this sounds absolutely thrilling. I'd watch this. If you put one in the middle of a Premier League game, I think that would be superb. I just think it would add an air of jeopardy. Yeah, I'd love it. It would really affect tactic. I suppose... Your average Premier League player could probably, at pace, just jump over a net without even touching it, right? Yeah. It's not that high, is it, a tennis court net? I don't know. It's it's higher than you think. Yeah. It's been so long since I've seen a tennis net. I don't think any of us are hurdling it comfortably. No, no, but I'm saying your average Premier League player, Michael. I don't think any of us are. I'm I'm not sure Harry Maguire's clearing that. No. Like I think there are certain <laughs> players that you sort of go, okay, yeah, you're agile, you've you've got a bit, you know, Cristiano Ronaldo? No problem. Yeah. I'd, I'd be interested to watch a version of that game where you're only allowed to sort of stack players in each side and keep them there. So then the choice is how do you split your yeah. team? Do you sort of overload the defense or the attack and then the benefits either side? Well, the, it would lead to a huge, huge element of long ball. There would be literally no point in playing a pass in your own half, I don't think. You've just got to get it over the net as quickly as possible, haven't you? Yeah. Yeah, unless there's a sort of playmaker that hangs by the net. Like a kind of quarterback. Yeah. like a- <laughs> I'd love to see this play out. There would be a new... Like, what would you do with formations? You'd want people around the net, wouldn't you? Oh, this is fascinating. Oh, would it become like... Would the net become a real battleground? What, like a sort of serve and volley game in tennis? You've got players to sort of like... <laughs> Punting it a few feet against each other. And what 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 are we talking about? Are we continuing the same offside rule? I think maybe you you abolish the offside rule. Yeah, I think you need to abolish the offside rule. Well, you know we've talked about having running experiments like playing playing a game eleven aside game on a massive hill. Yeah, like what what what? Here's two ideas. One, the tennis court idea: put a massive net across the middle. Yeah, and the other one is just what would happen? No offsides. I think there used to be an advert that did this. Um, but I I I have thought. A long time, and we might have discussed this, that multi-ball would be hugely exciting. Just a 10-minute spell. You know, like in pinball when three balls come out. Yeah. <laughs> like a siren goes off. Yeah, a siren goes off. Cannons on the side of the pitch. 
that are pointing in random directions and then you don't know quite when it's going to fire the ball out. So you've got like the players moving around tracking the trajectory of this cannon. I would, I would funny because when I imagine that introducing a new ball, I would drop it onto the centre circle from a great height. Oh yeah. Like maybe a helicopter. A helicopter drops it. But what are the tactical ramifications? You know, I've got a huge amount of respect for Jonathan Wilson and uh, his articles about <laughs> tactics in The Guardian. But I'd be far more likely to click on them if it was, what are the tactical ramifications of if there was three footballs for 10 minutes in the middle of the, the, middle of the match? Or like, you know, like in the FPL, you get sort of bonus chips that you can play where it's like a triple captain or a yeah. bench boost. Like each manager at one point in the game can press a button and it's like the cannonball and then four balls fire into the opposition half. Oh, yeah. Why don't they do this for soccer six? Why are they playing a game of like the, the charity soccer game? Why don't they just do it one game? It's just like it's a knockout. It's just constant chaos happening. Claxons firing, balls being pointed, tennis court nets being assembled. I think we could make this happen. I think we could do the quickly Kevin alternative World Cup where every match that's a sort of different gimmick. Have you ever seen those videos of like uh it's like you know like sort of Takeshi's Castle style like Japanese TV yeah, yeah. and they get all the players to wear binoculars like strapped to oh, their wow. head so you can't see the ball with any sort of sense of like depth oh wow so people <laughs> running around just <laughs> swinging wildly like 15 feet away from the football wasn't there a um one they did where it's like a hundred kids versus five professional footballers or something yeah those are one? always fun yeah the kids are rubbish in that, aren't they? They, they the, the three proper footballers always seem to, to smash it. Yeah, it turns out proper footballers are really good at football. <laughs> um, I think an instant loss thing would be really exciting as well. Just something in the middle of the pitch that if you knock it over, that's it. You, you lose, like potting the black in pool. <laughs> <laughs> what, would it, what would it be? So it could just be a skittle, like one skittle. No. from a bowling alley on the centre spot. And throughout the game, if the ball knocks it over, the last person to touch it, their team... Lo- Imagine how that would affect the game. I've got an idea. What if there was just like a 10-year-old kid on the pitch and if the 10-year-old touches you, you've got to leave the field of play. So <laughs> you're playing before, but I also trying to evade a kid is running around. <laughs> what do you want to see that? <laughs> And because he, so that he doesn't show favoritism, he'll always chase the person who he feels is closest to him at that point. Yes, that would be fine if you're an outfield player, but it'd be a fucking nightmare if you're a goalkeeper. <laughs> <laughs> Imagine defending a corner. Corners would be chaos. Because <laughs> he'd go into the area. Everyone would vacate the area. <laughs> Although you'd be. I reckon you could have one or two players in the area. Because I think if you're in the area with a 10-year-old... I think I feel like a 10-year-old, one set-piece situation, half the team is off the pitch. <laughs> no, <I don't> <laughs> so. Just think how many goals there'd be. Because you're not going to like be so distracted. Has he got to be 10 yards from a dead ball? He has, hasn't he? So you're not in trouble if you're taking the free kick, right? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think he has to be. And maybe goalkeepers are excluded. Or perhaps each each opposing team has a five-year-old on their side and then he has to run around and tag the other team. Oh, so then there becomes a whole sort of like transfer system for five-year-olds. People are like <laughs> scouting like the quickest and most robust five-year-old kids. 
I hope someone's noting all these ideas down. Um, so should we have one last Strange Hill? Strange Hill does take the kind of two things. It does inco- It basically involves things that you didn't understand, but also it seems to now also involve complete rule changes. This is something someone didn't understand. Uh, hi, uh, Josh, Chris, and Michael. Please accept my apologies as this neither belongs in Do I Remember This Right section of your pod or necessarily 90s content, but instead a gross misunderstanding of my part that lasted through the entirety of the 90s. And only recently, in my early 30s, did I realise the error of my ways. At the beginning of a televised game, when the commentators discuss the recent form of the sides in action, they will often say things like, the home side have not scored in over six hours. As a relative youngster, I took this fact somewhat too literally. I was on the understanding that the commentator for a 3pm game had been in situ since approximately 9am that morning. <laughs> And had watched the team warm up by taking a variety of different pot shots of goal, but failing miserably. I was always confused as to why the goalkeeper, who was of course of the same team, would not simply stand aside and let them score to end their barren run. I also wondered just how much attention the commentator would be playing during this relentless and tedious seven-hour warm-up session. I might have missed a couple of instances of the ball squirming in. Uh, Simon is 34 and a half. There we go. Another thing, you know, like, they have Le Mans, which is like a twenty-four hour yeah. race. What if we had a twenty-four hour football game? That'd be interesting. How many subs have you got? None yeah. is the best way of doing that, right? Yeah, and you did like just first to a hundred or twenty-four hours, whatever comes first. What would be the best tactical approach to that? You know, if you ever have a kickabout with your mates, and like you know, like if you've been playing for an hour, or no one's come into the pitch after you, like you go on and on, and like you can tell when people are knackered and not really trying. Yeah, I actually really enjoy that that part of like the kickabout. Yeah, because it's like at that point you you only need a little injection of pace and yeah, you can yeah. beat who basically whoever's in front of you. Yeah, there would be goals. It would be good. It would be good. Um, shall we end with something nice? Yeah. This is from Ross Deans. Hi, uh, Josh, Chris and Michael. I just want to say thank you. My daughter was born to last week and due to an emergency cesarean, she had to be put on a lot of oxygen and had intensive care for the last two weeks. And it was because of listening to you that you kept me sane and took my mind off things. I'm pleased to say she's home and doing great. Many thanks again for the distraction and the laughs. Ross Deans. It's nice, isn't it? Ah, that's nice. Oh, what a lovely message. And congratulations yeah. as well. And congratulations to Ross Deans uh, and his daughter, Francis Benali Deans. Um, <laughs> would have been better if she was called Brian Deans, wouldn't it? But uh, I panicked. <laughs> um, our new series will be starting uh, in April. That will go uh, run until uh, the European Championships uh, in uh, June. But until then, do keep your correspondence coming in because uh, we love getting it, and we do these we do these semi regular shows just because otherwise there's far too much. By the time we get back, this is how to get in touch. Get in touch with the show. Email hello at quicklykevin.com. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at quicklykevin, and sign up to the mailing list at quicklykevin.com. Also. If you are a member of the Patreon as an XJ8 member or above, uh, then you will be getting two extra episodes a month. You'll be getting the uh, Steve Barnes uh, chapter-by-chapter episodes with Ivo Graham. And also, uh, there's a special episode each month of our choosing. Although this month, 
we decided to put it uh, to the vote. We got some topics suggested on our Quickly Kevin forum that the Patreon members are a part of. Put it to the vote on our Twitter. And we've all watched Mike Bassett, England manager. Our review of that will be coming out on Patreon as well. Uh, thank you uh, to all our Patreon subscribers. If you're not, uh, here's a little clip anyway of uh, us talking to Ivo Graham in the Steve Barnes, Steve Bruce specials. Right, chapter five. Should we have a quick recap of chapter four? We've got to the point where Steve Barnes has just been arrested. He's done a press conference. Harry Pickles has tried to kind of, you know, write it up that he's fine. Sir Lawrence has been Sir Lawrence. And um, Steve Barnes has now been arrested, which none of us remembered. And I have no idea how he's going to get out of this situation because I don't remember him being in Nick. Right. It took me 24 hours to get out of custody. 24 hours wasted. And I was only out on bail. I had to appear before a magistrate. The magistrate made it very clear that bail in a murder inquiry was most unusual. But as I'd made certain sureties, paid an immense amount in bail, surrendered my passport, made promises to be on good behaviour, etc., he was going to set me free. My solicitor, who had flown up from London to Leeds Bradford Airport, spoke on my behalf. All I had to do was be polite and look honest. That's no problem. I had nothing whatsoever to hide. There were lots of things I could have said. In particular, I believe that Chief Inspector Shannon had been hasty in making an arrest. Once this was all over, and I was confident it would soon be all over and done with, and my name was cleared, I might consider taking out a case against the police. We left the court in a taxi. We could have used Bill's motor, but we didn't want the crowd of reporters. Yes, they were outside the court, like a flock of vultures, to get his number plate and be able to harass him. It was now late in the afternoon on Tuesday, two days away from the squad. I dared not think what Eddie Carberry was doing with them. Yeah, they haven't conceded a goal in two days. (laughs) (laughs) How much does he think Eddie Carberry's two days of training can affect a squad? That'd be a great sort of reality show. You know, a sort of assistant manager gets two days to (laughs) try and sort of upset the balance of a manager's team as much as possible for a big game. It's a sort of, it's a sort of don't tell the bride. (laughs) (laughs) A a Brewster's million style scenario where you you're in charge of a team for two days, but you've got to disrupt them as much as possible in that two days. What would you do either? Very difficult. You've you've got, they've got two days for a game. You've got two days. They wouldn't follow any of my instructions, would they? They're going to follow you to the letter. I, I would just keep them up. <laughs> keep them up. <laughs> just make them watch films. Like watch every episode of Friends back to back. Or take them on the mega lash, surely. A team bonding <laughs> mega lash would be the absolute way to do it, wouldn't it? I, I sort of prefer the slow torture of every episode of Friends. I mean that from a sleep deprivation perspective. Not, not, I'm not commenting on the quality of uh, no. what is a great, if slightly dated sitcom. <laughs> It was now late in the afternoon on Tuesday, two days away from the squad. I dared not think what Eddie Carberry was doing with them. The game against Fulton was crucial. We were lying third in the table. Fulton were level pegging, but had a poorer goal difference. The game on Friday was going to be a six-pointer. Back at the club, I found everyone listless. The whole business had upset many people, not least those, like Julie, with whom I worked most closely. I was still worried about Susan and the children. There was no way the kids could be protected completely. They see the newspapers, listen to the radio and watch TV. Even if there were possible to insulate them from all of that, the other children 
at school would only be too pleased to tell them their dad was in deep trouble. Uh, now, in the last chapter, which we recorded a couple of months ago, which I listened to today, we talked at length about how Steve Barnes was taking his children out, so out of school uh, to avoid uh, any of the careless talk. A fact that Steve Bruce has clearly forgotten about six pages <laughs> later when writing. <laughs> yes, that was the long and the short of it. I was in deep trouble. My future as a manager, my place within the game, even my credibility within society was at stake. Football has been very good to me, and I'm grateful. But I'm also sensible enough to understand that if I went down for murder, all of my sources of income, including sponsorships and the media jobs, and my house, would be as nothing. Most of all, <laughs> he, he's worked at... What does that mean about his house? His house would retain its value. I said all that to Dennis Nielsen. <laughs> <laughs> Does, does Steve Barnes understand what prison is? Like, he's concerned, yeah, you sure I'll be in prison, but I need to maintain sources of income. Yeah, my sponsorships. Yeah, my Steve, you've got 30 years inside, but Mitre are sticking with you. Steve Bruce in prison, just refreshing right move, just watching the value of his house plummet. He's also written, I, I think we're, we, we should be above picking up on typos, but um, he's actually just written, if I went down murder, instead of if I went down for <laughs> oh, murder. Yeah. Okay, yeah, sorry. No, no, I mean, you know, you're improving um, it. I should also say that that first page, apart from Skull's um, flail at, um, <laughs> at Leeds Bradford Airport, that first page is probably the most, the longest I've ever gone through a piece of Steve Bruce prose without having an issue. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was actually thinking, we're in trouble here. <laughs> we're in trouble here. <laughs> He's keeping it simple. Thank God he worried about his sponsorships. A Patreon project where we slowly interrupt less and less as our reverence for the great man's work grows. <laughs> but then we just, we just read excellent prose to a sort of weirdly disappointed listener base. <laughs> Most of all, though, I feared what this was doing to my family. At times like this, the ancient loyalties and responsibilities loom large and nothing carried a bigger emotional impact on a man's loyalty to his family. I asked for time to be alone with Bill Brown. That's his um, agent. But first, I needed to speak to Julie. She assured me that flowers had been sent to Pat Duffy's parents in Ireland. The grieving couple had been told of my own grief, and they'd accepted condolences. As opposed to rejecting them. <laughs> well, I think, I think you would be within your rights to reject the condolences of the man charged with your son's murder. <laughs> yeah, that's very true. So I actually think, had I been accused of a murder, I would think twice before sending flowers to the parents of the yes. victim, even if I was innocent of the crime. I don't know if OJ Simpson, when he was in the uh, white Ford Bronco, was on the, on the phone to Interflora... <laughs> Sir Lawrence was playing golf. I wasn't sure the members of the playing staff were. I had no wish to meet Eddie Carberry, so Bill and I went to the office. We needed to rest, but we also had to discuss how best to get through the week. You're innocent, Bill said. Do you doubt it, I asked sharply. Easy, Steve. Sorry, the thing's getting to me. I apologised. You're going to be found not guilty. No way will you go down. Bill's already expecting a trial. <laughs> At this stage, I'd be hoping. Bill. If I wanted my agent to say, it'll all be a blowover in a couple of days, <laughs> he said, he'll eventually be found not guilty. 
There's we'll get something for the house. <laughs> six weeks where you sit in a courtroom and watch your whole life collapse living on a precipice. But you will be found not guilty. Your team will be watching Joey by the time the court case is finished. <laughs> Thank you very much. Anything else to say, Chris? The only thing left for me to say is Robbie Slater. See you later. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. When I went on my last holiday to Cape Town, it was amazing. My friends were there, the weather was phenomenal, and most importantly, the food was fantastic. But one thing I struggled with was finding the right places to stay. You know, all I want is a great bed, a fantastic shower, and breakfast that doesn't end at 8 a.m. I'm on holiday, I'm still sleeping. I also like ease, and the Hotels.com app easily helps me to find a perfect hotel for every trip. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly getaway or a relaxing spa weekend, on the Hotels.com app, you can compare up to five hotels side-by-side. Now, why would you want to do that? So you can see prices, amenities, and star ratings. And best of all, you don't have to switch back and forth between options. See? Ease. So, start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app today.